most kids that commit crimes, they are stupid individuals purely by the virtue of the fact that they're, that they're young, they're easily influenced, they're often used by people. I mean, children, the younger that they are, the, the easier they are to influence. I mean, you see that in family law. You see that in some African countries where you have child soldiers. They are the most vicious combatants. Welcome to Crime Scene Gold Coast with Guardian Criminal Law. My name's Mark Savick, I'm the Principal of Guardian Criminal Law and we'll be bringing you podcasts weekly. A variety of uh, topics that can be very sensitive, so please be careful when you're listening and uh, if you need any assistance at all, we'll include a lifeline number at the bottom of the page. Really appreciate you subscribing and liking our podcast channel. You can uh, listen to us across most social media platforms, Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, TikTok, and uh, you'll find us there. We look forward to bringing you many episodes in the future. Welcome to another episode of Crime Scene Gold Coast. I'm Mark Savick, Principal of Guardian Criminal Law, bringing you uh, Gold Coast Crime Scene podcast. Very happy to have... Mr. Marcin Lazinski, barrister, is our guest today. We're going to be talking about youth crime and about uh, drink driving in the state. Uh, Mr. Lazinski's had plenty of experience. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. Thank you very much. I must say, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. You've, uh, you've, you've said my name very well. Uh, trust me, I've been called a lot worse than that. So. <laughs> was um, my pronunciation good? Yeah, it was really good, actually. Yeah. So No worries, um, mate. But yeah, so look, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, as I said. Thank you very much. Can you let people know what your journey into the law was like? Yeah, so I, look, I'm originally actually from Poland uh, and I moved here with my parents uh, when I was when I was 11 um, and obviously went through high school here. I initially actually wanted to be So you arrived from Poland, you didn't know any English? No, not a, not a word. I mean, I think I said hello and... Uh, and uh, picked up a couple of swear words as you do as kids, but that was, that was pretty much it. I um, so went went to school here locally on the Gold Coast, and um, and you know went through the education system here. Uh, obviously, then went to uni. Uh, initially, actually, uh, my I, I never really wanted to go into into law. I um, uh, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, so. In high school, I picked all the science and mathematics subjects so I could easily get into into ADFA and uh, and pursue that career. Um, yeah. My grandfather was a pilot. Uh, okay. He actually flew for the uh, Polish UN mission in Africa for for uh, twenty years or so. Wow. so yeah. So he um, um, was mainly stationed in um, in Sudan and Egypt and, and things like that. So I've always sort of enjoyed you know, the idea of flying and, and okay. Uh, and uh and wanted to pursue that uh what happened was sort of towards the end of uh, it was year 12 i had all the paperwork uh lined up ready ready to go and my mum uh found all the all the paperwork uh and she said well what are you doing you know you're not going to the air force you know, you know we've put up with one pilot we're not gonna have another one and <laughs> i sort of did a deal with her i said look i said i'll i'll try something else i'll try law um 
and uh, and if I like it, I'll stay in that. But if I don't, I'm going to go to the Air Force and you're not going to say a thing about it. So, uh, <laughs> look, I went to law school and you know, before you know it, I was sort of uh, doing that. So, I finished my degree. Uh, I worked as a solicitor for a short period of time. I moved uh, actually back to Poland for a few months. I worked for a couple of law firms over there. I wanted to sort of gain the international experience and then uh, decided uh, that I wanted to go to the bar. So I moved back to Australia. I did the bar course pretty much uh, straight away. Um, uh, and then I worked as a solicitor. I sort of couldn't work out whether I wanted to be here or Brisbane. So I sort of kept working as a solicitor for I think another 12 months uh, or thereabouts and then uh, and then went to private practice so that was 2012 now so 11 years ago well we were going to have a chat today about some youth crime well yes uh, it seems to be the hot topic uh, at the moment um, for all the wrong reasons uh, and um, and obviously uh, one of the issues we we're going to talk about is cars. It seems to be one of the one of the big targets, uh, and also of course from that um, there's all the criminal law that flows into the motor vehicle area. Um, I particularly work in two areas, broadly speaking. So. Um, I practice both in crime and in civil. Uh, the civil area that I practice predominantly in is uh, negligence, obviously personal injury. Um, and part of that work obviously involves um, work with motor vehicles and accidents. So it's, um, uh, it's an area that I sort of routinely come across uh, all sorts of things. Um, in crime, of course, uh, we put up with all sorts of different uh, different clients from all different walks of life, from white collar all the way down to kids. And um, uh, kids these days seem to be at the forefront of all the media attention. I mean, it seems to be that every time there is uh, some some offending, it's tied to youth. Uh, that's I mean, potentially that's uh, that's uh, that's all warranted, uh, although. What we're experiencing at the moment is a fairly um, strong reaction from the local government, and I think uh, perhaps you know there's um, certainly some uh, suggestions that maybe there's a bit of an overreach or an overstep by the government. So um, you'd obviously we're all aware of the recent changes um, brought in by the by the local government um, to try to crack down on youth crime yeah, um, and. <clears throat> the statistics that I looked at this morning for 2020 through 2022 mm. show a continuing decline in crime generally, mm. um, but uh, an overrepresentation of youth in certain areas, and and not just youth. <clears throat> uh, certainly overrepresentation, but but the, the overrepresentation is also throughout. Um, I mean, if you look at, for instance, the indigenous uh, children population, I think last statistics I came across was that. Over sixty percent of youth in detention centres are indigenous, um, yet they make up one or one point five uh, yeah, of the small. population. Yeah, very and small so, percentage. So you've got to be a little bit careful because it's all well and good to come up with strong laws, but um, you know you've got to be careful that we don't um, disadvantage already disadvantage. No portions of the population but also that we don't sort of create a slippery slope um 
one of the one of the issues that particularly concerned me is the fact that um, you've got um, areas of the new law that seek to override the Human Rights Act. Um, I mean, to me, it's 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 kind of nonsensical, isn't it? You've yeah, got human rights, which are the basic rights, yet you're legislating uh, at state level, trying to override human rights. I mean, that's the whole point of it. You're supposed to have human rights so that government can't take them away, yet yeah. it's being legislated out for children. Yeah. Uh, and already yeah. in Queensland, I mean, I think we've got a history of, uh, of I think, perhaps laws that are... Um, uh, quite tough. So for a long time, I mean, adults were seven. You know, the age at which a person became an adult was seventeen for purposes um, of going to purposes, jail, going but to not jail. for purposes of anything else. That's exactly right. Isn't that amazing? Um, you, you certainly can't. You know, you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't get buying buying grog when you're a no, seventeen no, no, year no, no. old. You can't you vote. Could, you can't buy you grog. Can't buy, you can't, that's right. But if you uh, do something wrong, you go to big boys prison. That's exactly right. That was only, that's only about less than ten years. Less, no. Look, I think oh, I, I, I'm not going to put a time frame on it, but it was certainly less than ten years. I think it was only about five years older, about. Um, yeah, I remember that very well. When I practiced at one of the very first cases, I think that I criminal case that I had was a seventeen year old girl who spent something like four weeks uh, in, in an adult jail. I mean. This is the problem with it. Even she was a very bad criminal, uh, yeah. to be honest. She was useless at it. She got caught every time she did something wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, if you were giving her career advice, you'd say, "Look, don't don't be a criminal because you're bad That's, at it." I've given um, that advice many times. <laughs> you have to. I've given that advice I mean, many times, mate. Yeah. You've given this a real good go. Yeah, yeah. It's you've right, given you know, it ten look, years. Yeah. Like you've um, and and. It doesn't go really well for you. Time that's for a right. career change. Yes. Um, <laughs> there is no, you know, there's no. There's no benefit in having a long criminal history. It's not like a long resume. No, um, no, it's not right. good. Okay, no, the short. Right. If you if you want to be a good crook, you've got to have no criminal history that's or right. very short one. That's right. Uh, you know, I mean, but some 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 of them deserve to be caught. I mean, I've I've recently been looking at a case that is was fraught with risk. Absolutely fraught mm. with risk. Uh, High level offending matters carrying Children? life. No, yeah. adult adults. Adults, but yeah, yeah. Matters carrying life imprisonment. Yes. So very serious matters. Uh, adults that are aware of what's going on. Yeah. And one of the parties communicating via telephone with a ex partner's child who's a, a girl of fourteen years of age. Mm. Uh, he had had a falling out with the ex partner, and confiding in her. Um, about the operation that they were about to carry out. Mm. It's just mind-boggling yeah. at how, how stupid that some of the offending can be. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, yeah, look, um, I've um, uh, – and I won't identify, obviously. I mean, we can't. No, 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 uh, no, no. But, but don't, I've don't always, be shy to embellish the story. No, no, <laughs> but I've always found it funny when you, you know – uh, when you've sort of set up code words and things like that. And it's always quite funny when you read it back. Mind you, we're reading it in hindsight, but mm -hmm. I still think, uh, I do think it's quite funny. I remember I came across one case and there was a group of people talking about um, selling 
clothing by the pounds. Um, <laughs> yes, look, that's you try to explain that to the jury, you know. Um, I mean, it's, yes, it's um, uh, common sense is not always all that common, is it? No, not at all. But going back to the youth, yes. I was, I was thinking, I was there was something that crossed my mind. I worked a lot with youth crime. Uh, in North Queensland yes. with uh, Aboriginal uh, youth when I was yes. working for the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Legal Service. Yes. So they made up a, a regular part of our clientele. It was a yes. very busy office and really wonderful clients. A lot of the, the clients in the more remote communities really need our assistance to traverse the criminal justice system. Yeah. And I was having clients on a regular basis that had no idea what the terms guilty or not guilty meant mm. and it had to be explained to them you know and i remember when i first started representing some of these clients i wasn't aware of that mm. and i'd be standing in court and the magistrate would ask you know i'd say my client's ready to enter a plea uh, guilty or not guilty and the client would look at me and say you know what does that mean mm. so they really need the the help and then the the youth were a lot of the youth offenders there, there was a culmination of factors leading to what I would term as subsistence offending. Mm. And they included lack of resources at home, mm. um, uh, little education for various different reasons, mm. uh, a, a poor diet, uh, no exercise regime, all these things that mm. are quite regular things in a lot of youth's lives, mm. whether it be through organised sport through school or things mm. that you do outside and, and parents sort of drive it. A lot of those things that and non-existent mm. and we get so what i was seeing was the youth coming together to support one another mm. and just to subsist and so the crime would often this was a common pattern there'd be two or three young people mm. they would access a home unfortunately sometimes the occupants of the home would be in the home would mm. be asleep and we've They're, all had those cases yeah. yes and i've had those ones that have gone wrong and mm. where youth have assaulted elderly people in their homes and it's absolutely tragic but they'd break into the home and then, of course, they know exactly where the keys of the car that's sitting in the driveway are mm. and the credit cards, usually mm. sitting on the sideboard as you walk in or on the kitchen bench. <clears throat> we all seem to be pretty similar creatures of habit. Mm. And what struck me was that quite often the first thing they do when they go into the house mm. is not go look for the keys, not go look for the wallet, go to the fridge. Mm. And if there's leftovers from the night before, they'll eat it there while they're mm. in the in the home. Yeah. And then take the vehicle. And then the first port of call is usually a petrol station. Yeah. And they get a bit of fuel sometimes, cigarettes and snacks for the kids. Yeah. And then the next stop is a fast food place. So mm. KFC or McDonald's or Hungry Jack's, one of those. Mm. And they get food for the whole family. <clears throat> and then it'll be the last stop's usually the grog shop. And yes. they get some grog there. So it's all that under $100 transaction. Mm. Then they get together and they share those things and then pass the card and the key cards on, the keys on mm. to another set of friends. And it's usually the second or third set of people that get caught. But it's just to subsist, just to get some, a, 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 a few resources. It's not like it's a organised crime syndicate that's cutting up cars and making millions of dollars. No, no, that's exactly it's a different right. situation. It's, it's, it's often, as you sort of um, alluded to, it's sort of opportunistic of ending. It's not, um, it's not sophisticated. Um, sort of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, they're not going to make good crooks. Um, 
They're on CCTV every yeah. time they go and make the transaction. No, no you know, no masks and things <clears throat> no. like that. Um, you know, no, no disguise. Um, and quite often, I mean, the problem with it is it's also quite brazen offending quite, uh, quite often, um, which creates a problem, doesn't it? Because what do we do? Do we have a heavy-handed approach and risk, for instance, sending kids to jail only for them to become uh, better crooks? Because, I mean, we all, I think, know um, that prisons are... Um, Places where um, obviously um, there's some degree of education as to you know uh, afforded by by the adult prisoners to the younger um, to the younger crowd and you know the risk is that if you sent a a a young person with um, r- relatively little criminal knowledge you know they'll come out with far greater criminal knowledge and, and you know, that reduces the prospect of rehabilitation. Um, there's also added risks, um, obviously, that if you send young people to jail, I mean, um, there's all sorts of personal risks to them. There's physical risks to them. Yeah. There's mental yeah. uh, risks to them. Uh, and I think you have to, we, we as a society have some duty of care, particularly to young people, um, and particularly under the age of 25, where, I mean, forget about what the, what the, you know, what the 18-year-old age or 17 or whatever, I mean, Fact is, I mean, the, the brain keeps developing all the way through to the, the age of 25, um, uh, particularly in males. So, I mean, a 21-year-old person even is a is a is a young person, I think. Um, but anyway, so do we have this heavy-handed approach, uh, which, with respect, I think the government at the moment he's doing albeit i think it's more of a knee-jerk reaction i think it's more of a political yeah political uh, reaction. Uh, it's yeah. a political stunt effectively but it's a very real one uh, yeah. because it's been passed that's right um that is or right do we head down a more um the sort of more motherly um or approach, we, approach yeah, more. More, you know well well <clears throat> even you know to try to to try to concentrate on reintegrating kids in the society but of course that is fraught with problems too because if you have kids that have difficult upbringings that have difficult difficult parents i mean i doubt that um a lot of the people the kids that are stealing cars and joyriding i mean i don't think they're necessarily from the most affluent parts of the community they're often people usually that, not uh, i mean you know they, they they don't get the supervision uh that they probably need to from their parents and therefore um I mean, should the state be more protective? Uh, but then, of course, I mean, uh, there's a limit to that as well. I mean, taxpayers are probably fed up with all of that. Uh, it, it's difficult. I mean, uh, I guess this is why, to some extent, we do we don't envy politicians' roles because it's, no. it's actually difficult to strike a balance. Well, what um, do you th- what do you think about this for a start, Tommy? Do we give sixteen year olds the vote? Uh, no. No. Please explain. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> why? Why not? And and I say that from the perspective of making the government listen to the issues, because they're reacting to adults' issues around youth committing crime. Uh, why aren't they reacting to the needs of youth to prevent the crime? Look, I this it's a twofold uh, answer. The first one is I genuinely don't believe that. Um, voting should be compulsory for anyone. 
um, although that's a different topic altogether. Yeah, yeah. So because of that, I mean, I don't think you should force anyone to vote. And by virtue of um, you know allowing 16-year-olds to vote, at the same time, you're actually forcing 16-year-olds to vote uh, when they otherwise wouldn't have to. So that's one answer. But the second one is, I mean, for the love of God, I mean, remember the stuff that we used to get up to when we were 16, 17, 18? I mean, do you really want those people influencing how we run a country? I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think... Um, I think even eighteen is probably a bit too young. I don't know. I I just but, but I think I, that the that the input might facilitate a different approach know, from the politicians. I, I look. That's a that is a valid that is a valid uh, valid point. I think. I mean, uh, yes. What about, you're allow, right. what about allowing prisoners to vote? I guess that's one of the freedoms that we're taking away. There's got to be a price, some price for offending. So, well, if you're I, I believe this is still the case. Please mm. assist me here. Yeah. I haven't done a lot with youth for a while. Mm. Uh, and the, I'll explain the reason why I haven't done much with youth for quite yeah. some time. I, uh, I was representing uh, a lot of youth and the court in general tries to be as lenient as possible. Uh, they try to look at full-time custody as being a, a last resort. Mm. And so we often find that with the youth... Uh, they're getting many more chances than, say, a mature adult person would receive. Yes. And there's good reason for that because a lot of them are kids. So the law as it currently stands places criminal responsibility on an individual once they reach the age of 10 years of age. Yes. But there's an argument that can be made up until they're 14 years of age that they don't have the capacity, they didn't know right from wrong, and that they be treated like somebody that's a child, so under 10 years of age. Yes. So so we have that door open to us. Yes. And I've been successful with that argument mm. uh, on quite a few occasions. And then I actually saw some police prosecution habits change in my area because mm. I was making that argument. Mm. And, uh, and they then incorporated a regular uh, question in the process mm. to make sure they covered that base. And it was about... Do you know the difference between right and wrong? Do you know that what you did was wrong? Can you explain mm. why you believe it was wrong? And they cover that base. But there's an opportunity to argue that. Sure. Once the child is over 14, mm. then that opportunity has gone as well. And there's criminal liability that's placed on that child at 14 yes. years of age and they're expected to know right from wrong. Yes. Now, there could be exceptions to that where psychological reports will show a lack of capacity and, and that diminished capacity can be taken into account. Yes. However, from 14, you have to face the music. Yeah. If you've got to face the music in a society when you're 14, shouldn't you have some rights that accompany that? Look, it, it's... It, Shouldn't you it have is the same valid, rights as the person who's 18? Uh, it, it's a very very valid point. And I, admittedly, I, I mean, I must say I I hadn't thought about it before. But, I mean, look, I, I think it's a compelling argument. But I still do think that, um, I mean, I try to look back at I mean, what we were doing at the age of 15, 16. I mean... We were really, obviously good criminals. Yeah. <laughs> would, a, <laughs> um, would a 14, 15, 16-year-old really care about you know, who their politicians are? If I reflected on myself at 16, say 16 or 17, mm. 
I um, I had the good fortune of going to Lake Illawarra High School down in Lake South mm. in <clears throat> on the shores of Lake Illawarra public school. Mm. Uh, when I was there, it was a big uh, cohort there. It was, I think it was about 1,500 students. So there was yeah. like 350 students in my year. And it's a big school. Yeah. And of those 350 students, I think there was only about 26 from memory yep. that went through to year 11 and 12. Not highly unusual. Uh, we lived in an area that was predominantly heavy uh, and heavy manufacturing, heavy industry. So it was quite normal for youth to leave in year 10 and then go straight into full-time work usually as an apprentice and still mm. living at home or they're getting paid little but learning a lot mm. and that was a regular thing but year 11 and 12 there weren't that many of us mm. i had the good fortune of having some incredible teachers that were really inspirational mm. and that thought that uh teaching you a little bit about social policy and politics was very important yeah but I must say the result of it was pretty much a group of far right wing um, voters in the with the youth. I think that's that far left wing, sorry. Mm. Yeah, far left wing sort of approach to it. And I think that came from the influence of the teachers, you know, and the teaching us about the various revolutions around the world and, and those sort of things. So so yeah, would I've I would have been yeah, a, a bit radical. Yeah, well, that's right, and and I guess that kind of comes back to my maybe my point that as a you know, let's say as a sixteen year old or seventeen year old and fourteen fifteen year old, you're quite easily influenced still. Um, so you can be quite easily influenced by whoever it is that's you know that's uh, that you that's supervising you, for instance. I mean, if you happen to have teachers um, that are probably left more left. Well, then you're probably likely to very easily uh, yeah. sway down that side because I don't think yes, you truly, I don't think you truly develop this kind of critical thinking that we do uh, when we get a little bit older. Because with experience, obviously, with life experience, we we start questioning things a little bit more. So uh, I think that's one of the reasons. As I said, I don't think. Look, I, I think the age of eighteen uh, for voting is, is probably right. But I mean, could you extend it potentially? I think it's arguable, but. Um, I don't necessarily know that it would actually achieve really that much. Um, there might be, it'd be interesting to see what the portion of the population actually is in those age brackets because, I mean, technically it could actually sway uh, votes if you have compulsory voting uh, a fair bit and you force all these kids to vote. But um, then you sort of got this compounding issue that all of a sudden if those kids don't vote, then they're copying fines for not voting. And, and I think with respect, I think it just creates more problems than than what it's worth. But I do believe that kids should have a say in how kids are treated in society. Um, what about if you... Sorry to throw these mm. sort of things in. Yeah, yeah. What about if you had a compulsory core subject in every high school when the child's 15 that runs over a period of 12 months and it's about society and politics and it's developed so that it's an unbiased uh, approach? And so that the person registering to vote at 16 needs to have completed that course. Mm. Because we let 50-year-old Scientologists vote. 
We let yeah, well, that's all true. sorts sovereign, of well, actually. sovereign citizens. We saw did one of those today. Did you? Yeah, 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 in court arguing and, and uh, oh. as a result, and the magistrate no. was trying to get him on bail and he just kept on saying, I don't recognise you, you are my incarcerator, you are yeah, that. And so she's locked him was, away for months. I was reading about someone just the other day, <laughs> you know, talking about some ship vessel that they <clears throat> embarked on or some, yeah, something anyway. I'll... No offence, but I mean, I think it's just the problem is you've got a legal system, whether you like it or not, it's going to control you and no um, vessels or whatever it is that you describe yourself as is, is going to make any difference. I, think I know, just... but this is what's happening with the internet and crazy mm. people. Yeah. They they seize upon something mm. and then then off they go. So that so that was one area with youth crime that I thought, you know, is is interesting. So you were talking about a more sort of caring approach towards the youth. Well, like, like, I think that's the other option. I'm not necessarily I, – I, to be honest, I, I don't know the right answer. I um, agree. The, and what I was saying earlier about representing youth and I sort of walked away from it, the problem that I had was you'd get a great outcome in court. So mm. the, the young person would have an opportunity and not have anything recorded against their name and it was explained to them by the court that they were they were cared for. Yes and that the sentence reflects the concern of the court and some advice being given. Mm. And they go straight back in the same environment. They go straight back into the same environment. So the, the, the environmental factors are not changing. So it's just so hard for the young person to mm. change their behaviours because they just go same into the same environment mm. with a lack of resources. Uh, and I've, I've seen youth as young as 12 years of age mm. Uh, engaging in selling their bodies because they've learnt from the environment they live in that it's of some value to certain types of men. Yeah. And they'll go out and seek those men out and then those men who are very, very dubious to say the least mm. uh, and dishonour themselves um, will partake in a relationship usually paid for with the young person. And then I've I've seen situations like that where the older male, it's always a male, um, is then charged with rape. Yes. And <clears throat> I know it's, it'll be delicate and this will upset a lot of people. Um, a person, you know, an older person. So I had a matter at one time where there was a 45-year-old fellow charged with the rape of a 12-year-old. Mm. And it was rape all day. It's Whether she consents or not, it's, it's irrelevant. Rape. Yeah. It's absolutely it's, irrelevant. It's statutory. Absolutely irrelevant. Mm. Um and um, unfortunately, the prosecution didn't realise that the witnesses that they were calling <clears throat> were all going to give conflicting evidence. So the victim said that the accused had dragged her up a set of stairs by her hair. Mm. Uh, one of the other witnesses for the victim, that was one of her friends, mm. said that um, they walked up the stairs and they were holding hands. And then the third witness for the victim said that she walked up the stairs by herself, knocked on the door, and he let her in. Mm. So at the end of the day, the court was unable to make a decision because the words from the magistrate were that the waters had been that muddied, that there's no way he could reach a decision mm. of guilt. And the matter was dismissed. Very unfortunate. Mm. And that young person, the victim, she goes back into the same environment where mum and the third or fourth stepdad along the line mm. are dealing drugs in the house 
and they've got all sorts of dubious people coming in through the house, what mm. sort of chance has she got? Very how, little. Do, how do we help her? If you remove her from the parents, that becomes a problem. That becomes a problem. And then, and then the media doesn't assist because they go, children are being taken off their parents. They're not saying um, a lovely young 12-year-old girl is being put into a safe environment mm. because her parents are not feeding her, not providing her with resources, mm. and she's living in a dangerous environment. That's right. So it just becomes another political issue. Yes, it's um, it's difficult. And, and then, of course, when you put them into that type of environment where they don't have the protection of the parent that, that can care for them, I mean, all of a sudden you expose them to all sorts of problems. I mean, uh, and... Uh, but you know what? Some of these questions and some of these problems that they probably don't have an answer to them. Not you know, we can try different options, and I think it's sometimes choosing between the lesser of often two evils. Um, I mean, the situation that you just gave. I mean, it's, a, it's an extremely type of sad situation where. Yep. Um, it's. I mean, it's obviously the, the outcome there was somewhat dictated by our standard of proof, which is very high. Um, so it's you know the question is not whether this man probably did it or even whether he's likely to have done it. It's you know, the trier of fact would have to be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that something happened. Let's say without getting into the other issues, um, and I mean where you have conflicting versions, I mean quite often it's it's impossible to be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt and the product of that is, is sometimes as happens is that a guilty person walks free um so then you've got this issue well hold on um but but do we change it i mean do we water down this this the stand of proof that we have i don't think that's the right answer either no, i don't i think it's a great you know <clears throat> the, the sort of example um it's come out of some u.s uh, article that I think was referenced by some US judge that said, you know, it's a greater evil. Um, uh, sorry, it's a greater evil for uh, one innocent man to go to jail and 50 guilty to get, get off. Um, and effectively, I think that's the problem. I mean, where we've got a criminal system that punishes people by taking a portion of their life away we have to make sure that it's a it's a high bar it's a high threshold yeah i agree um the product of that is unfortunately that sometimes guilty people get back out in society but the only saving grace to that is that generally guilty people i think you know even if they go innocent once or twice they, they seem to come back around the truly guilty ones do you know they'll end up justice will eventually catch up with them at some point yes you know I mean? yes uh, they just become more brazen and they just keep doing what they've done and, and uh um yeah and so it will catch up um but coming back to i think the point that you were making i mean what do we do? I mean, this girl has gone back into this horrible environment that she's in. The reality is she'll probably uh, grow up, sadly, with all sorts of problems, mental problems, yeah. potentially physical problems, um, and she'll hopefully at some point break out of that cycle, with it, often with the help of, of others. Mm. Um, but if she doesn't, she'll be stuck in that and she'll, you know, she'll be caught up in that cycle of violence yeah. um, and whether it be emotional or psychological. These are difficult issues. And I, I see that there's usually an attempt 
to connect the parents with community supports mm. in order to improve the environment at home. And I think that that's, that is an important factor. Mm. How do we improve the environment at home wholly so that <clears throat> mum and dad are not dealing drugs, that they're, they're working mm. um, and they're contributing and they're, they're engaged socially and economically appropriately mm. in our communities. And so community services to come in and assist that pro process might be a good way of supporting the child. Mm. And I've seen that there's there are attempts to do that. But what I've also seen, and I'm not sure if it's so much like that here at the Gold Coast, but in other jurisdictions where I've worked, mm. there's no shortage of community services, but there's a shortage of or a lack of cohesion between them. Some yeah. of them don't even know the others exist. And some of these organisations you can walk into, and so there'll be an organisation that's getting government grants for assisting youth to write job applications and assisting them with language literacy and numeracy. You, you can walk into some of these places and you've got six employees performing some sort of admin tasks and zero clients. There's, so there's some, there's some problem between connecting the yeah. clients and then connecting the community services so they are working together at all uh, as well look i i it's probably something that i can't comment on because I, I the reality is i just don't know exactly what the services are and and quite often in this area as you as you can imagine we probably um in criminal law i mean um sort of we deal with particularly at the bar you know we deal with a small section of that person's life yeah uh, i suspect there probably is quite a lot of services but i think it kind of misses but also it's all good having all these services but it probably doesn't deal with the root problem which often is drugs i mean if you and you've even identified it that um almost always there's some level of drug involvement drugs um, and alcohol drugs and alcohol yes um and you know it's that's probably the issue that you've got to deal with i think and if you don't deal with that issue which is which is very much a, a significant health problem so how about um, we deal with the drug issue by legalizing all drugs well yeah it's uh we just uh, legalize all the legalize drugs. everything well, everything absolutely everything everything's legal yeah you can go to your local dispensary uh where you can purchase whatever you like um it all comes with uh, educational material that explains what you're doing. Hmm. Um, if you're found yep. with so, drugs in the street that uh, and you look like you've got a problem that you have to attend upon a, hmm. a, a panel of people who are from community services to assist you. Yeah. Um, they've been doing this in Portugal for the last 25, 30 so, years. It, it sounds, in some ways, it sounds great in theory, but the problem it's is... had great results over there. Well, that's, yeah, but the problem is common <coughs> sense is not common. I mean, before you know it, you'll have half the population, uh, you know, high as a kite. Uh, it's, oh, look, Do you think so? Yeah, absolutely. Look, look at it now. So, you know, look, I mean, it'll be, it'll be like Woodstock in the, you know, in the 60s. <laughs> I don't know. Look, we've had, I don't know, but I mean... There's medicinal cannabis yeah. now yes. available here in Australia. Yes. I know it's in Queensland and yes. I, I believe it's in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. The other states have different laws. Some mm -hmm. laws are very relaxed around cannabis, such yes. as in South Australia and the ACT. Um We've no, seen no incredible problem. We've seen no problem caused by the 
the relaxing of rules and regulations but it's still regulated cannabis it is regulated i mean you can't you can't just go to your local cannabis dispenser because you want to get high on the weekend and say look i want some medicinal cannabis you've got to have a reason for it absolutely but it you you can do this by just getting online can you yes so there's 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 medical organizations now that arrange an appointment for you online with a medical practitioner who is licensed to dispense the cannabis but hold on isn't that more the cbd oil type stuff no 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 no, full cannabis flower okay Okay? right and uh, so you get online you make an appointment to see a medical practitioner Hmm. um i don't know what the checks and balances there are but they probably want your Medicare card number mm. and some other. You, you probably have. You've got to pay, mm. uh, and then there's a couple of things that are required. This, so you have to have a reason. Mm. Um, and from my investigation, the reason can be as little as I'm not getting enough sleep. Well, so I need something to assist me for sleep. That's mm. the reason. I'll right? be sleeping all day. I'm. I'm <laughs> I've got a bad back and I'm in pain, and mm. the cannabis relief relieves my pain. Uh, so so the, the reasons don't have to be the, the bar's pretty low and there's yeah. no evidence required. It's just a discussion between you and the medical practitioner. Look, I personally, I don't necessarily agree with with this kind of lax approach to regulation of, of drugs. Um, the problem is as soon as you sort of make start making exceptions to some of these rules, I mean, eventually what happens is the rule becomes the exception. Um, I think can medicinal cannabis certainly has a place to play in society for people that are that are um, use it for certain medical conditions because I mean I think at the end of the day people should have assistance to a wide array of of um, um, analgesics whether it be cannabis or um, endone or whatever uh, if they need it but all of this has to be highly I think regulated um, uh, I think the risk is it's kind of it's, it's kind of like guns i mean it'd be like saying well uh let's regulate guns by giving everybody access to guns i mean we know that that doesn't work um i don't see that as being the same thing let me t- try to explain an observation that i have made myself but i've also but before you do that though that. can i can i throw mm. one more uh, issue at you because we know for instance that i mean we're using cannabis which is let's say i mean some call the devil's harvest some call it the precursor but we all know that out of all the drugs i mean it's not the schedule one stuff it's not the heavy stuff um I don't think you could safely allow people to use heroin or ice. It doesn't matter how you do it. Um, I just—they're just such highly addictive substances, and we've all seen what happens with people yes. that use it for particularly long periods of time. Um, uh, it leads to all sorts of other problems, whether it be health problems, mental uh, issues. So when you're uh, when you're telling me your view and if we're talking about the legalization of all drugs you know we'd have to be we'd have to be fair and we'd have to consider all those other substances that are uh, highly addictive and high and very damaging look i i used to hold a, a similar view to yes. you i and then my view changed over a, a period of time to where I thought, yeah, legalize all drugs, but not methamphetamine. Because or the of, heroin. 
Heroin I have got no problem with. Mm. Highly addictive. Highly addictive, addictive, but heroin is the one of the drugs that has the least impact on the human body. So in terms of liver, organs, brain, heroin has zero impact. So the use of pure heroin doesn't lead to any issue other than addiction. There are a lot of people that use heroin on a regular basis mm. who perform in our communities and you would never know. That may be so. Yeah. But would you isn't one of the problems with drugs, it's not the effects of the the acute effects of the drugs, isn't it isn't one of the problems all the sort of um inhibitions that it you know that it kind of creates. I mean, all of a sudden before you know, if you're under the influence trying to go about your daily life. I mean, some people may be able to do that, but some people will be I mean, for instance, we know that sharing of needles is one of these issues with that leads to other health problems. I mean that is correct. That is so, absolutely correct. So there's these peripheral issues, mm. but if we just look at the drug itself. Yeah. So but you can't just itself, look at the drug itself. I know you can't. I know you can't. And there's certain types of people that have certain types of characters, um, predispositions that mm. will become addicted. They're, they're people that will drink 30 cups of coffee a day and screw their liver. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, these, these are people that will smoke three or four packets of cigarettes a day. Can I, can I just ask you this? I mean, because mm. we're... Let me throw this at you. I mean, mm. we, you know, we as a society, we can do quite a lot of things. We can fly to the moon. Um, we have uh, before, and I hope none of the sovereign uh, citizens <laughs> try to challenge this, but we have. All right, it's 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 a fact. Um, but anyway, um, we can fly to the moon. You know, we can build enormous bridges, ships. We can mm-hmm. look like computers. I mean, AI, all sorts of stuff. Why can't we make something to? sort of satisfy this uh, kind of quest for um, increased endorphins or whatever it is that drugs often do. I mean, we all know that that's really what drugs, whether it be cocaine or, or ice or whatever, I mean, they make people feel good. Yeah, I call that the upside. The yeah. upside. Why can't we make something uh, as society that is not harmful, that makes people feel good, that doesn't last, you know, days or or, or hours. That, that lasts just a short period of time. Why can't we make something that would assist people to feel better for a period of time that they could take legally? That doesn't have to be, uh, you know, produced. I don't know in some shed somewhere, you know, at the back of God knows where, or or in you know the the um, the Golden Triangle of. Of, of Asia. Yeah. I mean, why can't we just make something that satisfies that this natural quest? I mean, if we look mm. at the drug industry in America, I mean, it is billions of dollars. And so it's that demand. So long as the demand is there, um, and it's not America, everywhere in the world, I mean, there's a demand there for recreational drugs. Um, I know people take an issue with the word recreational drugs, but pe- there is a lot of people in this world that take these drugs recreationally. Yes. That's the reality. They're dangerous, but they're dangerous quite often because of the rubbish that's also in them because right. they're uncontrolled. I mean, why can't we tackle it by creating something that has a desired effect without the problems? I mean, shouldn't we, we be looking we, at that? We have. Well, what is it? You're a dealer in it. What? The gym. Ah, well, that's, you know, yeah, exercise. You know, but, exercise. Like, yeah. you know, you and I are both there this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know... And and I know that you and I are both up very early. I mean, we're yeah. having a discussion at about five yeah, five yeah, thirty. Yeah. I, I get up four fifty five every every day. Yeah. So 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 I'm I'm up very early as well. Mm. 
and um, and we know that it's in our best interest to go to the gym in the morning and the best interest of our families and the best interest yes. of our colleagues and our employees, all of those people that benefit mm. from that high that we get when we go to the gym mm. and that confidence that we get when we go there. Yes. And then and if you keep on going, <clears throat> you progress and you feel healthier and your and your life's better. Yeah. Whereas with a lot of these drugs, if you start, you, you might you might feel good and have a good upside, mm. but that then diminishes over time and you're getting problems if you keep on going mm. as opposed to the gym. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that all drugs can be problematic in that way. You know, if you're if you're habitually taking four um, Panadol a day, it, it, that's not right. That's yes. that's problematic. You know, um, and there are a lot well, of things. You're not tackling the the root cause of the problem, which is no. whatever's producing <clears throat> no. pain. But there there are a majority of people, and so a majority of people who drink alcohol um, use it well as a tool, and mm. so it will be uh, to unwind, to feel a bit more relaxed to reduce your inhibitions a little mm. bit maybe in an environment where you're dancing or th- those sort of places that could benefit from a little yeah, bit yeah, of it's a, a social like, glue yeah yeah and it, 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 it can be quite a good tool in your arsenal of things yeah. at certain times gives you a little bit of confidence you know you may yeah. approach that girl after a couple of glasses yeah. that you otherwise wouldn't approach yeah. and probably there's a lot of people in this world that you know they've got families now because of a couple of glasses of wine at you know at, exactly. at some dinner party somewhere exactly um, exactly you know, yeah. so so there's that then there's there are people that just can't use it as a tool the alcohol is something that's going to control them Mm. And these are the same people that if you did deregulate, so you allowed legalisation of all mm. drugs, they may have some problem. It's my view that education, health and education, need to be the primary focus to assist these people mm. not to overindulge. There's uh, Professor Carl Hart. I think it's University of Chicago. He's a fully tenured professor. Mm-hmm. And he talks about all of these, what he calls, I think, champagne drugs, the, yep. the drugs that people want to take. And as a result of listening to his lectures, I've changed my mind on the meth. Okay. I used to hold the same view as you. Heroin and meth, no. Right. Mm. After listening to him, totally changed my mind on it. So it's not something that I would look to take. Yes. But if somebody was in a situation where they were very tired, they needed to get something over the line, um, they wanted to achieve something, they needed that, that spark, uh, having meth could actually improve that situation for them and everybody around them. That could improve the situation. Um, Having meth two times a day, three times a day, not sleeping for five days, not being employed, that becomes a a really big problem. That upside diminishes very quickly and it turns into something else because of the effect that it has on the body. So people need to understand that it's not something that you can do all the time. Some some drugs are just I'll, not suitable I'll take it, to certain people. What, I'll take it what you mean by <clears throat> meth. You're probably not um, – I mean, we're not necessarily talking about – because, I mean, meth is a bit of a generic term, I mean. Um, but really, we're talking about – aren't we really then saying that some people that have some underlying conditions, for instance, that they probably would benefit from some sort of a stimulant to they do make it all them the a time. little bit more a little coffee, perfect example. I've been sipping it throughout. throughout so they do it all the time. What's the 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 clinical meth called? Dexamphetamine. So yes. dex dexamphetamine, or something called dexies, are uh, are prescribed by doctors 
on a regular basis. It's meth. Yeah, it's a look. It, it's a the, it's a stimulant. It's a that picks, picks you up. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, look. Then we sort of come back to the point that I was making earlier. I mean, why can't we concentrate on tackling this issue by creating things that are safer, that are I agree, um, that are yes. replacement for you know those substances. I mean, I do not believe. I do not believe that with the sort of combined mental. Uh, wealth of all the scientists, uh, we you know we can't create substances that can make people feel better um, for a some period of time that will not have the type of negative effects that illicit substances do. True. Um, if you used pure heroin, mm. that will give you an incredible result in both mental and physical pain relief and relaxation so mm. that you can be free of any of those mm. concerns for a short period mm. of time. So it might be for a period of several hours. Mm. Um, if you were to do that in a controlled environment with people around you that care mm. for some relief like that, mm. you're not going to wake up addicted. And I was going to say, that's a substance that aren't <clears throat> addictive because that's the, Yeah, Yeah, there's some um, substances that aren't addictive. I think they talk about... Cocaine, if you've got a cocaine habit that's under 2.5 grams a week, mm. that you can avoid physical addiction. So you could be having cocaine in small amounts socially um, and particularly if it's a very pure substance um, and have a very positive experience. So I, th I think Carl Hart said that, you know, for if you're in, on holidays in Colombia, for a lousy 10 bucks, you can have probably one of the most meaningful interactions with the person you <laughs> well, love say, and you'll have in the I, rest of your life. I was going to say in Colombia, you uh, <clears throat> you probably should because you get, you're getting it close to the source, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, a uh, national two, product. 2.5 um, uh, grams of uh, Colombian cocaine be probably equivalent of about 20. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know what, yeah. what you have seen in terms of purity, but you know, this is an issue. I have seen as little as 8%. Yeah. And the highest I've seen is like 87%. And I think that's yeah. pretty so much with, with pure. So with meth, though, it's, it's kind of the opposite. Yes. So I think from what I've seen is in uh, with cocaine, we're talking about sort of you know, really about one-fifth is actually cocaine. Uh, but with methylamphetamine, it's up in the sort of 80s and, and things like that. That's right. Um, I've, I've never really known why. The, I suspect it's because of the type of uh, – substance that it is being crystallized you probably can't cut it I, I don't know to be honest but i suspect it's probably um um that might be the reason for it with with cocaine i mean just, just put more white stuff whatever it is sugar or dextrose whatever it is that they that they cut it with yeah there's yeah. a few things i've spoken to some people mm. involved in the industry and i was so surprised at the things they do mm. um with the cocaine to make it attractive to clients like they'll mm. put a a couple of drops of uh, nail polish remover Not right, uh, okay. in so that it gives it a fuelly smell, yeah. which some users take it as being a good quality. You know, the interesting thing is if you look, um, <coughs> I, I watched the National Geographic um, documentary about Colombian cocaine and it's actually, I don't think it's actually white when it comes sort of from its sort of source. Um it's, and the paste comes out. Yeah, it's a yellowy colour. But um, but you know, but obviously when you watch it, when you see it in movies and and you see it and you know, come across your, your brief of evidence, it's you know, it's almost a perfectly white substance. Yep. But but I think that's actually not not what the what the intended um, what okay. the intention is. Yeah, that's actually probably just lots of sugar. Um, that's right. But, 
And this, I think this is part of the problem mm. is, you know, don't go buying drugs from the street. I mean, it's just, oh, look, it's look, just fraught with danger. Our advice you know? to everyone obviously must be um, uh, don't do it whatsoever. Go have a glass of champagne or two yeah, and, yeah, and ask yeah. that girl out for, yeah. you know, for a date. Um, but- this, this is another issue that I, I, I think is a valid issue with regard to our drug laws and that affect youth as well, affect youth dramatically. And that is that what other laws do we have that preclude you from putting something in your body, that stop you from putting something in your body? You, and so what the legislators have done is they've legislated to prevent a very personal thing, a very personal thing, a decision that I believe individuals should be able to make for themselves. If they're appropriately educated, they have all of the information and the capacity to make an informed decision. And then the responsibility for policing that is put on the shoulders of the police. Mm. So the police now have a very personal um, task to perform that involves searching people physically mm. and very intimately. My son and a friend, when they were 17, 16, between 16 and 17, they went to a concert in Brisbane that was open for over 15-year-olds or something. It was a concert of young Australian musicians playing. Mm. And they were escorted from the concert across the road into a shed where three police officers made them strip down, totally naked, bend over, part their butt cheeks, mm. cough, all of this ridiculous shit. Mm. And so, so then that creates a really bad relationship between our community mm. and the police and particularly youth and the police. And I remember being brought up where we would at least once a year a police officer would come to our school and all the kids were excited about that in your class and yeah. you were able to have a look at his handcuffs and he'd tell you about how they look after the community and if you're in any trouble, you come to the police and your parents would reinforce that. If you're in any trouble, you just look for a policeman and go to the policeman. Mm. That's changed. I don't know. I've asked my kids when the police came to the school for a visit. Never. And my oldest yeah. is 21. And now my oldest son, who I've always taught, and because of my experience has been predominantly, I really like the police that I deal with, um, predominantly, <clears throat> who are honest, community-minded, hardworking mm. people. And together we try to get good results at mm. the end of the day. But it creates a really big issue for them, both having to be that personal and for the youth. And I think now there's a lot of youth that don't see the police as their friends and protectors, even though they'll call the police if they're in trouble, mm. but they don't see them as that. Yeah. And I think that, that the, our drug laws feed into that and our drug laws can create a lot of that animosity. You know, I mean, if you've got something that you want to take or you want to do to your body um, that's a personal matter, I'm not sure how you can justify interfering in that. If it's a personal matter, it's not leading to harm in the community or your family. Well, I guess I guess the contrary view is that it is leading to harm, and that's in the community, and that's and this is this is that balance that we were talking about. So, with everything, there is this balance. I mean, you, you, there's a balance between personal freedoms, and then there's the balance against the state uh, interfering in those personal freedoms. Yep. Um, Trying to strike that balance is probably one of the most difficult things. Um, well, let's let's have a look at our cases that we do. Okay. Oh. Right? So if we have a look at cases involving cannabis. Yes. 
I don't have any cases involving cannabis where somebody was stoned and bashed somebody. No. I just don't have that. No. My cases um, involving cannabis are because you had cannabis or you took cannabis. True. All right? They're not because you went and raped somebody well, while you were stoned. It's, or you well, went- it's, even, it's, it's not even that you took cannabis, it's that you have cannabis in order to take it or you have cannabis in order to give it to someone else or you've sold it to someone else. You That's either right. had it on you because you were going to smoke it mm-hmm. um, or you had it on you because you were going to give it to someone else, or you had sold it to someone. Really, that's what it comes down to. Basically, you're right. You're okay. right. There's, there, I can't think. Whereas, I've, I've never had anyone that's um, that's been stoned and and you know done and, a violent and, crime, and participated in any violent crime. Correct. Yeah. No. At most, you know, they've um, driven well, their car, pulled over to the side of the road. Yeah, and, and, and even and even then, it's I don't. I've never. I don't think I've ever had a situation where someone had caused an accident because they're under the influence of cannabis. I have not. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's happened, yeah. but, I, but I've, I've never had one. I mean, Whereas, drink driving, heaps. Absolutely. Uh, and, um, and, and some drink driving matters where people die. Yes. And so we see that. And also, I've seen a big rise in the proportion of cases that I've got that have methamphetamine as an element. And methamphetamine can often be mm. involved with very violent and heinous crimes. Yes. <clears throat> so... There's a point that you, I think there's a very valid point that you have with regard to <clears throat> maybe you legalise cannabis, but you don't legalise methamphetamine. So I'll, I, I can you, I, see I think the you could. Rep- I think you, with those hard drugs, I think what you need, if you really want to tra- tackle the problem, I think you need to find a suitable alternative that's probably not going to be as good, but it's going to be affordable. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, uh, let's say not have the, disa- the disastrous effects um, because I mean I think the problem with meth is not the meth itself; it's the fact that it's just sort of leads into this out of control spiral. I mean, people just don't sleep for days and days. That's right; they become, and they, they just do things. I mean, they just do things um, that yeah. are just abnormal. That's right because of this. This you know um, they're in a psychosis. Yeah, I mean, we've heard of people, um, uh, you know. I mean, chopping up their mates with you know a chainsaw or, or an axe, you know, because they haven't slept for fourteen days. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know what it's like when you don't sleep for. We've all done it all nighter at uni. I mean, you walk around the next day as a zombie. I mean, I know. Um, imagine doing that for you know fourteen days or whatever. There was a case of a, a very very sad case, and you know, involving a young child. It could be tri- triggering for people. Mm. So, um, in Sydney, I think the child was two years of age. And mother was on meth. Child died and was on the lounge room floor. Lack of care, I take it. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Child died, was on the lounge room floor. Mm. She was getting up a couple of times a day, stepping over the child to get to the front door to get more meth. So that is just unthinkable behaviour. And I'm sure that without the meth, that there'd be no chance. Well, it probably wouldn't have happened. Probably wouldn't have happened. um, That's right. In yeah. the first place, and yeah. and certainly um, that, I mean that type of um, response that mother's response is completely unnatural. It goes totally. against, it goes against sort of any you know law of nature yeah. uh, that we have. And this is the issue, isn't it? That I mean, the problem is it's actually not the drugs itself that is the problem. It's what they cause people to do. Um, yeah, you know, they lose the inhibitions. They make horrible you know, judgments they um do things that are um 
that they wouldn't otherwise do. That's um, right. They get into a state of psychosis where there's all sorts of hallucinations and yeah. and voices and beliefs that they develop over a period of time and then they act on them. And and from a criminal perspective, it's important to note that uh, the voluntary intoxication, even if it causes a psychotic episode, that, that is not a valid defense. You can't say, look, That's right. I acted uh, out of my mind when I when I did something uh, that was criminal, if that intoxication and the effects of it were caused by voluntary ingestion of narcotics, you, you yeah. can't do that. So yeah. you're stuck with, potentially you're stuck with the effects of your actions, the culpability because of um, an altered state of mind, um, which came, you know, sometimes days after you 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 had a bender with your mates. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and I mean, you know, some of those consequences can be very serious. Um, so it's... Consequences can be very serious, leading to one mate killing another mate sometimes. Yeah. And those, and those things happen. We're um, dealing with those things. We're dealing with those things uh, hmm. as a reality yeah. in our practice. And, and, and the, um, the fallout hmm. for several families mm. is just unthinkable. But isn't this, isn't this the, the irony of criminal <clears throat> law? I mean, when people think of criminal law, they think that, oh, look, it's just all criminals. And I mean, it's you know criminal lawyers that just deal with, with criminals and, and criminals are bad and lock them away. The reality is that most criminals are, you know, I mean, all the criminals are someone's relative. They're someone's father, brother, sister, mother, whatever, auntie, uncle. And they are often quite decent people yeah. apart from yeah. this short transactions throughout their lives that quite often produce devastating results, whether it be for them or for other people or, you know, or there might be motivations. You know, they'll do something for a period of time. Like they might traffic drugs for a period of time because, you know, they're, they're addicted to drugs. Or and that's the only way for them to feed the habit, you know. Or they do it because they want to better themselves in life. I mean, they're all the different kind of factors that play into this. I mean, you don't. Not all criminals are, you know, the worst of the worst pedophiles or the worst of the worst serial killers. I mean, those ones are actually somewhat rare. Truly bad people are actually rare. On that point, so do you agree with that? I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, I I can I can only recall two of my clients since I've been practicing law that I would put in the category of being evil, like mm. scary people to be around. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> totally without any empathy. Um, you can there's something when you're looking into their eyes that's telling you that this person is extremely dangerous. And so I've only ha ever had two of those people, and I I don't know how many clients I've had over the years, but plenty of them. And a majority of my clients, I'm happy to see them and say hello when I go past. And I, I think that they're safe people in the community. And like mm. you said, there's been a, a set of circumstances come together to create some sort of behaviour mm. and it can often disappear and the person's reintegrated into the community. Mm. Fortunately, I've seen a lot of that and, and a lot of people are open to having some assistance to, to do that. Mm. 
yeah that's right and it's usually a you know a, a chapter in their lives that they've that they've can you, you know, think of any real evil ones you've represented i i don't think so I there you go. Well, that's, I, I you've represented I, many, many clients, yeah, and for I, you to I, answer that like that, yeah, I, I don't shows think, how rare it is. Yes, I, I, look, I don't think so. Um, having said that, though, and just so it's clear for everyone, because there's all, all, always this misconception. People often will ask you, "Oh, how do you do your job? You know, how do you represent all these people?" The reality is that nobody actually ever comes into your office and says, "Hi, hey, I did it. You know, I'm this horrible person. I did exactly what they're alleging that I've done." Um, but I want you to get me off. I mean, that just doesn't exist. Yeah. They paint the same story to you that they paint to everyone else. Um, you know, your job is to put that to the side and kind of actually almost, I mean, you've obviously got to follow instructions and things like that, but you've got to look at the case objectively. You can't just be swayed by what your client says. You've got to follow the instructions, which is um, at times difficult because you've got to make sure that you get the instructions the right way. Um, you don't ask too many questions sometimes until you know what the case against your client is uh, uh, because our job is actually offered to not only to represent but also offer advice and, and things like yeah. that. We've obviously got various duties and different, yeah. you know, duties to the court, duties to the client, duties to, to the opponent even. There are, you know, there are obviously all these uh, duties. But coming back to what I was saying, I mean, nobody comes into your office and says, hey, I did it, I'm a bad person, please get me off, I'll do anything, okay? That just doesn't happen. So, I mean, has there been situations where you've acted for people that um, you've achieved a favorable result for, but you think maybe they've been up to something? Yep. Possibly. Yeah. Um, would that make them truly evil? I don't think it's for us to judge. I mean, I think I think we are we are part of a of a system that kind of generally, in most cases, gets things right. Um, you know, it all kind of comes out through the wash, and I think often the truth comes out. I think truth is one of those natural fab, you know fibers that flows flows through society. You can bend it, you can stretch it, you can pull it, you can compress it, you can do all sorts of things, but it's difficult to break the truth. Yeah. Uh, Often there'll be <clears throat> things that will happen along the way that 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 make truth kind of very difficult to actually display. Um, but often it's about trying to achieve, I think, the right result, which doesn't necessarily mean a complete resolution or c completely what the client would have liked. I mean, everyone that's done something naughty would like to get off. I mean, that's the reality. Quite often it's managing expectations and actually achieving a a favorable resolution for the client that hopefully everybody can live with. Um, I haven't answered your question. Um, the question is, have I uh, acted for some or have I met people that are truly evil? I don't look, I probably have, but I don't necessarily know that I know that. Um, yeah. And I think, look, in most cases, I mean, the people that we act for, they're not inherently evil i mean the people that have that have strayed that have erred that have uh done things that they often will regret uh or they've also been people that have been wrong wrongly accused i mean there are people that have um i've had a number of clients that i'm confident that uh they didn't do what they're alleged to have done and and often we've been able to to achieve the right result for them um hmm. but uh, but there are evil people out there. There's no doubt about that. But I just think that truly evil people actually represent a very small portion of society. I agree. 
Uh, and coming back to the, to the topic that we start off with about kids, I, look, I don't, I, I'm sure there's evil kids because there's evil kids in society, but most kids that commit crimes, they are stupid uh, individuals that are stupid because purely by the virtue of the fact that they're, that they're young, they're easily influenced, they're often used by people. I mean, children, the younger that they are, the, the easier they are to influence. I mean, you see that in family law. You see that in, uh, in, a, in some African countries where you have child soldiers. They are the most vicious combatants. Um, they will commit heinous crimes against... against I've represented one of those people and it uh, was yeah. a really sad, sad yeah. case. They, you know, because... Kids often, the one thing that they don't have is they don't have this critical ability to critically think for themselves. They also don't understand the consequences of their actions. So, you know, um, they'll do things without appreciating the consequences. And I think that's something that we develop physically until, you know, I mean, we don't develop and until we're probably about 25 or thereabouts scientifically. As I said, the brain keeps growing. But also... It's experience, you know. We we hurt people, we learn from that, and then we we you know learn not to do something. Um, kids that start off as often as blank canvases, and you know if they, they if you get them too early, if you if you influence them too early, they can probably do all sorts of horrible things. Yep, um, I've seen that yep. to themselves, to others. Yes, um, in sexual cases, you know. Um, uh, you see this some this is very sad you know when you see children that are exploited and um you know they will do things that are that are extremely damaging to themselves but that's because they've been influenced usually by adults that should have known better do you know what i mean they'll do things um we've sadly we've seen that happen i mean you get a child soldier you teach him how to kill, he'll kill. He'll be very effective. He won't even won't even think about it. Yeah. Um, so we have to be a little bit cautious not to have this knee-jerk reactions and, oh, let's you know, lock up all um, uh, youth criminals in jail. Um, we have to strike that balance, and that balance is difficult. And to be honest, I mean, I think by and large we get it right. I'm concerned about the latest laws because, as I said, I mean, we have this fairly new human rights act we should we should respect it i mean we shouldn't be legislating parts of it out um just because it's popular to do so um we can't sort of i think we've got to be really careful to you know before we do things like that and i, and I suspect that uh we got that wrong recently i'm going to leave it there i think that's a good note to leave on Thank i you. think that's an excellent note to leave on Thank you very much. I've learned, I've learned quite a bit and been oh. challenged a bit. Um, Thank you. That was great. Cheers. Uh, pleasure having Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Crime Scene Gold Coast with Guardian Criminal Law. We're enjoying bringing you these podcasts on a weekly basis and we look forward to bringing you many more. Uh, we've got a Patreon page where you can subscribe. That'll assist us in bringing you future episodes and also any money raised through that goes towards a youth help program that we're running. Uh, We look forward to your company for many months to come. Thank you.